Let me pray for us, and uh, we will start. Father, we come to you, and we, um, we want to take our spot at your feet. I want to take my spot at your feet. I want to remember, learn fresh, remember what you're saying, so that I might think correctly, so that we might think correctly, and therefore believe correctly. That we would understand you and your character and your promises and your plan. Lord, that we would be people of your heart. Father, if I have friends here today in room who don't know you, I pray through this passage which is strange to our eye about Abraham and circumcision and all these things. Even here, Father, that you might just break the gates down to the heart and show them the majesty and wonder and glories of Jesus. And for my friends online and here who know you, I pray that you would make us deep and rich in our knowledge and understanding of you and your heart and your plan and what you want us to know about your heart and plan and what you want us to know about salvation and the effects on us. So please be with us. We rest in the power of your spirit. Father, we are yours. Um, Your love for us is immense. And we ask that out of that love for us, your children, you would bless us with the help of your spirit today as we gather on your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you don't have a Bible, I would really encourage you to grab one. We actually bought a whole new stack of Bibles. I cannot see them with the naked eye right here, but they're back in the back right there. And so you're welcome to have one in case you don't have one on your phone. It's kind of just worn. It's kind of microfish, so you have to squint a lot or hold it close. So you might want to buy your own. It'd be great. Um, so we're in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 to 15. So Scott Burns was recently on vacation with the rest of the Burns family down in Destin, Florida the land of white sand and really hot sun. And, um, and then we came back here and got even hotter um, in that weird sweltering thing, you know. And so uh, it was a sweet week, I think, even in the midst of power outages and those kind of things, just seeing God's people care for each other and the swapping of frozen goods from one house to the next, uh, the mooching of air conditioners on couches and those kind of things. It was good. It was really good. And so I, I praise God for the opportunity for us to be able to live as God's family in that. But when I was back in, Florida, um, so here's the deal. I grew up in Southern California in the high desert. We, a lot of us know that story. I'm not a big fan of the sun. Um, it's just worked me to death, and my skin doesn't like it. So um, while the rest of my family enjoys themselves like on beaches and that kind of stuff, I am like a reclusive nocturnal gopher. I come out at night and I go down to the beach and that kind of stuff. But during the day, I kind of hide away. Um, I awkwardly mount a umbrella in, in the pool we're at. And I wear my SPF 50 hoodie that I have on, and I sit there looking like a creeper. And um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I find it, but I actually found it really good just to sit in the water and listen. I listen to, I have that dwell app on my phone, and I listen to scripture. And for me, it's a really handy time to listen to um, narrative scriptures, like the book of Acts or listening through Revelation. Um, it was great. I, just, I actually really loved it. I felt really recharged by that. And then after I become waterlogged, I then move over to the air conditioning of Starbucks, and um, so I, 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 I sat there in Starbucks, and um, I'm, I have my Bible out, I just want to read and be quiet there, and cool. And this guy comes in next to me, and he's got one of those one-wheel uh, electric unicycles that you stand on the pegs on both sides, right? Only the dude's 55. Uh, and he comes, and, and his, his thing is thrashed. I mean, this thing is, he didn't just buy this. So I'm really intrigued. And he has hair kind of like John Hansel. It's kind of like wavy and right? I didn't find him standing on a chair anywhere in, in, in Starbucks, but kind of Hansel-esque looking, right? 
Um, and this guy comes in with this, and he sits down there. And so I ask him a question about his unicycle thing, and we get in this conversation. And, and um, the Lord uh, just turns this to a, a probably a three-and-a-half-hour-long conversation about Jesus and Bitcoin and, um, and occasional unicycle stuff. And um, it was very helpful in that conversation Inasmuch as this God has taught me the connectedness of things, to be able to understand the connected things. He had a lot of questions. He doesn't know Jesus yet. He's uh, very honest. Um, he's actually a very honest um, secularist. He didn't deny the presence of faith in his life, and he knows the faith is, he, he knows he has basically blind faith, and that there's no place he puts it in, but he, he, knows, he, he knows there's good and right and wrong, but he goes, I, don't, I know it's there, but I don't have any good reasons for it. I know it's, and I know it's faith. It's a great conversation back and forth, but he kept lobbing questions of connectivity to me like why or how this in the bible or why or how this in the bible and it was very very helpful and a really great conversation talking about the connectivity of things in the bible and maybe some of the things he would ask might not be available to someone who is hasn't gets to preach every week right but a lot of the things actually were very available to all of us who read the scriptures if we're actually just paying attention to what God is emphasizing as we go through. There's a great value in understanding the connectivity of things. And Romans is incredibly helpful for that. So that you and I aren't people that, on all fairness, just kind of come and pluck a nice little verse like this and pluck a nice little verse like this. Like, oh, I found this verse. It makes me happy. And what's true of you is that you aren't really a person of the word. You're a person of plucking. We're not plucking people. We are people who sit at the feet of Jesus and we keep, we have a new relationship with him, a new relationship with him. We're saying, tell me, teach me, tell me, teach me, tell me, teach me, lead me. So Romans is so good for that. But man, he goes deep on us, right? He doesn't, Jesus doesn't go like, there's just a couple things, just trust me. I mean, he goes deep. He shows us things that don't make sense to our minds, things that are categorically different. And then he shows us a lot of things that do make sense to our mind, and some of those are very hard to think through. Some of those things are shown in mysterious um, Easter egg forms in the Old Testament and then blown up into full fruition in the New Testament. Like, oh, here's how it all works, all these little hints. So one of those areas is the areas of Abraham and the Jews, referenced most often in this book called the circumcised, right, the people of the Jews. And um, if we simply are pluckers in our heart and we go in to pluck a handy little thing to make me feel good about the day, uh, Romans will thrash you and bore you and uh, make you just kind of roll your eyes back and hold your breath until you get to another little juicy morsel that you can stitch and put on the wall and some stenciling or something like that. It's got such amazing good things. But the connectivity of it all is your birthright. You're not as Christian, okay with God just because of something you chanted or because you are. Like, there's this whole reason why. In the Old Testament, a lot of times God simply said this would be true. New Testament, he's unpacking all the why. So many of us really pride ourselves in being connected thinkers. We love the whys and how things work. The New Testament is loaded with that. Romans especially is loaded with that. And so in our message today, um, it's part of that. It's going to be very, very helpful for you to actually know the legitimacy of your birthright, legitimacy of why you actually can know the Lord, why you're not just a restart, why you're not just an invader in God's house taking silverware out of the drawer and leaving, but you belong there. You belong there.
So in this passage here in chapter 4, so far in the book of Romans, it's basically been this. Paul drives up in the bus of the gospel, uh-uh, 116, proud of the gospel. He goes, man, in this, man, there's I'm proud of for everybody, for the Jews and all the non-Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks, or the circumcised, the uncircumcised. Everyone get in here. He goes, and the reason all you Greeks and, and, and Jews and uncircumcised want to get in here is because you're hopelessly lost without God. And you see it all around your life. In fact, God has been conveying that through wrath felt because our lives are so messed up. He's given us into the things that are in our hearts. It's everywhere, right? And, and a lot of us go, that's absolutely true. And we want to run to him. He goes, man, and you even celebrate everything's wrong. Like, you just do all this. This is all you pagan Gentile people, right? And then he looks to this side of the bus and he goes, hey, and all you Jewish people, you hop on into the gospel bus too. And a bunch of them are like, why would we? We're awesome. We're God's chosen people. And he goes, did you not notice that the law, the instruction that God gave you guys, because you're God's chosen people, was simply showing you how lost you were, right? God blessing you, but, but you likewise are lost. And so he's calling both sides, the, the non-Jewish and Jewish, into the bus, the gospel, which then brought some rebellious questions of how dare you? How dare you say that about us? We're the circumcised ones. He deals with that. And there's some really good questions when we're settled down. Like, okay, then, well, what's the good, what's the use of the Old Testament, right? If you, if you held up your Bible today, three-quarters of that is Old Testament. Three-quarters of that is pre-Jesus. Is there then any value in it? Absolutely tons of value. So he's explaining the value in it. And they say, but doesn't that make us better? And he goes, absolutely not doesn't make you better, right? There's all this value and blessing that came to this people that God created to be his people and to entrust his information to them so they then might go be a blessing to all those non-Jewish people like me, right? But they still had need. They were not better off because of the information given to them. So there's this great unfolding, and, and, and it, takes, it takes listening and thinking. It takes sitting there and going, okay, so what, what, what is the value? Was the Old Testament a throwaway? No, the Old Testament was from God. It was built upon these promises that God gave. So in chapter 4, this is yet another wave because John brought us two weeks ago. We watched him online. It was very funny because the man wanders. And so my whole family and my whole in-law set of family, we're all watching. And then John's preaching, and then all of a sudden John's gone. Then all of a sudden John strafes through the video over here again. Then all of a sudden John's up on a chair. It's just really funny the whole time. Um, but he brought us to the end of chapter 3, which is after the first set of questions are asked, answered, like, tell us the, the good news and what exactly God's doing. It's not just that you're okay with God, but that God comes to us as incapable people, and he brings us to himself through the work of Jesus as a gift. That's the amazing good news. And so he introduces the gift to them at the end of chapter 3, and then 4, he comes back in to answer some more questions. Because they're still thinking, like, but come on, isn't there some good in us? Does it have to be a good gift? Does it have to be a gift? And the Spirit of God, through Paul, says, no, there's not good in you. And that's where Andrew took it last week in our first eight verses. And he said, well, consider the best of you, old father Abraham, which he stole the father Abraham joke, so I'm not going to say that one. Um, but our father Abraham, he said, consider him. Did he have anything to boast about in his flesh? No, he did not. Did, did, did Abraham have some good stuff? Absolutely. Did it come from him? Absolutely not. Where did it come from? It was given to him. So, we are now continuing on the message of what was given to him. 
God is using Jesus' death as a perfect and just way to rescue people as a gift because none of us can rescue ourselves from our own guilt and bondage. None of us, not even supposedly the best of us. So I want to introduce a couple of terms that I'm going to define kind of uniquely today. I think truly defined, but uniquely because in case you're listening to this for the first time, you're seeing some words. If you've been around Christianity for a little while, you see those words, you're just flying by them because you know them or you think you know them. Um, but if it, maybe it's the first time or maybe this is the 20th, 20th time you've heard these words and you just want a fresh definition. Here's a couple I just want you to think about. Number one, righteous or righteousness. This is pure, worthy, and good by God's true and only standard. Righteousness, being righteous, is pure, worthy, and good by God's true and only standard. Okay? What makes you worthwhile? Worthy. Okay, that's righteousness. Righteous. This word justify or justification is a person being made righteous. Person being truly made righteous, not just cloaked as righteous or seen as righteous, but made righteous. So righteous is pure, worthy, good by God's standard. And justification is a person being made righteous, utterly pure, worthy and good before God's perfect vision, not disguised, not cloaked as righteous, but actually are righteous. Okay? So as we went through the, the first part of chapter 4 last week, we hit this idea of counted counted. Or if you're reading the NIV, a really good word, and I might even argue a little better word, credited. Credited. And he says it again and again. It was in last week's passage. It's in this week's passage. So I just want to review this term for us and for us to break that out a little bit further. In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, by the way, make sure you're looking at this in your own Bible. Don't trust me. This is not, this is not a trust Scott moment. This is time to like Look down and follow along with me. So this is verse 2 of chapter 4. It said, For if Abraham was justified by works, by the things he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Even the best of us, the best of them, old father Abraham, did not have anything in himself, in his own righteousness, in his own worth, to stand confidently before God. Didn't have it. But what happens in verse 3? For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, because he didn't have it in himself. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the godly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, so, so counted comes up again and again and again in our passage. The word for counted is the, is the Greek word, Okay, I'm, I'm going to use a Greek word today. Just You have to love me. I usually don't use these. But it's the Greek word, legizomai. You use, you know, a lot, there's like, sometimes if you're around Bible study tools, a lot of times the word logos, logos, is there. It's the, that's the Greek word for word. So legizomai is to make a word about. It's to name, shall we say. To say something, to declare something. And so we say counted righteous is an accounting term. And it is an accounting term, but it's something higher. It's actually something higher than simply an accounting term as something is accredited to. Um, but our term, our term counted comes a lot more in our text today. Verse 9, check this out. Um, after, sorry, after he goes through and says there's this new accounting of righteousness, he said even David knows this. And he gives two verses where David says, hey, how blessed it is to not have your record counted as you. 
That's the summary of what David says in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. He goes, listen, you don't want to have your record as your official legitimai, which you're counted as. Don't want it. So Abraham believed that. David believed that. And so there's a good question. The good question comes in verse 9. Is then this blessing, and what is the blessing? The blessing is counted, counted righteous. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jewish, or also for the uncircumcised, the rest of us? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous. So I'm going to use a different word instead of counted. If you're reading an NIV, this is going to be fluent for you because the word's there. I'm going to use credited for a moment because exactly what it means Listen to verse 9 and on as we read through with the terms credited. Just trying to help kind of snap out of this. Sometimes when we say counted, in English, counted can just be considered, right? Uh, cons- you're counted as one of us. You're considered as one of us. You may not actually be, but we're just going to consider you. But credited. Is this blessing being credited then only for the circumcised of the Jews or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would not so that righteousness would be credited to them as well. And then if you skip forward to your text later on in this chapter, verse 22, that is why faith was credited to him as righteousness. But the words it was credited to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Again and again and again. Credited, credited, credited. Counted, counted, counted. But let me just pump that term up to a little bit higher level. Where you get the word logizomai, right? The wording, right? The naming of these things. Maybe the most helpful way to think about it, if you think about counted and you think about credited, is actually declared. See, counted could be you're, you're one of us, but you're not one. We're just going to treat you like you are. Credited, we can still kind of do that. We give, cre- we give credit to my mom, give a credit to my dad, well, maybe they had nothing to do with it. But declared is something else. See, when my friend Tristan back there, when he, um, and this word actually in the Greek actually shows up between all the pe- texts I told you, where it talks about us accounting, us counting things, considering, right? So when, when Tristan back there, when he counts something as good, that's great, but it might not actually be good. It happens all the time. It's called sin. He does it. I know him. So do I. So, so he counts things, but because of his nature, that's great. It's just considered that way. But it's different when the one who's counting has authority. So when you are the Queen of England and you declare someone Sir Edmund Hillary or Dame somebody somebody, right? Um, when you declare it, because you have the authority to it, it actually becomes their name and their place in society. And when you're not simply a person of authority, but you're actually truth, and you're God himself, when he legitimizes your name, 
When he calls you something, he declares you something, you become that. And it's not new to him. He spoke the world into place. He called it out by name and by word. He spoke it. So when God says something, it is that. It's not just simply a cloak. When he said, let there be light, he spoke it. He logizomized that word, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus is the word incarnate. The word of God is who Christ is. And that one who spoke the world into existence, who said, let there be light, and the one who is Jesus, the word of God, says to you and to me and to every Jewish, non-Jewish person who ever puts their faith in Jesus, he says, let him be righteous. And you are. You are. You're not just simply as righteous, seen as righteous. You actually become the righteousness of God in Christ. So when we see credited, when we see counted, I just want to get those terms, make them hot, make them glow in this book. They're, 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 they're special because of, of what's being said and who's saying it. It's not just simply an acute changing of terms. It's not just simply um, a perception of it. It's the true reality of who we are. So our first pa- piece today is this. God's blessing is through the act of crediting. It's through the act of crediting. Um, you know, it's Father's Day. Uh, my father, Doug Burns, dead. Happy Father's Day. I'll call you later. Um, I, I, think, I think that for men, some of the crediting can be very challenging. Um, men, unless they're really used to it, unless the Lord's really taking them through the pace of this, a lot of times we as men, we really like to put off the fact that we're okay. And that the kids can see that we're okay. We're not in need and we're not bad. And we're, we, to some degree, we, we like to put off the fact that maybe we are moral and we are fine and we are okay. But the job of an earthly dad is to be with kids and let them know, like, no, no, no. I'm not okay and you're not okay. I'm not righteous and you're not righteous. But I am now righteous because Jesus through the work of Jesus, God declared me as righteous. He credited it to me. So I'm always a person who is not righteous in my own means, but always been given that fully by God. And so I live in humility and I live in joy. I live in humility because I didn't have the goodness of myself and I now live in joy because I now do have that goodness and that goodness came through Christ. But it was clearly brought to me from outside of me. A real dad who understands truth Preaches truth. Here's the truth. Here's the, here's the issue. Every dad and every mom and every one of us, you actually are preaching all the time. You may not be using words, but you are presenting a message all the time. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to do one of two things. You are going to convey to people that goodness and goodness can be found in you, or you convey that goodness can only be found outside of you. The only way you're going to convey that goodness is found outside of you is if you actually use words. You just can't be nice enough and make people go, man, I think, I think that Ethan Mulsbray, I think that goodness, he's saying that goodness is outside of him. No, it's going to take words. But those words are going to have proper reflections of humility and joy through the life that he lives around people. But if the words are not there, if we as dads or we as people or friends or family, if we aren't using words to say, listen, um, it's sweet to be alive and sweet to be forgiven and sweet to be made righteous by Jesus because I didn't have it in myself but it was brought to me, given to me. Um, 
we are going to be preaching the opposite, which is don't look outside for that joy. Don't look outside for that righteousness. Look into me. When our kids credit us of like, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, friends, you're awesome. What do you do with the awesome? Do you go, well, thank you very much because I am. I'm inherently awesome. Romans chapter 1 and 2 do not firmly apply to me. Or do we say, thank you. That's really sweet. I love you. But let's, let's talk about that, right? All that good stuff you see, hopefully it's really good. God's doing that stuff in me. Like he's made, given me a new heart and his spirit's working in me. But remember, man, dad is just a person who didn't love God and God has been so kind and gracious to show him who Jesus is. And he has made me righteous. So that's one of the hugest blessings I've had in my life is I have mom and dad who actively told me that. I've had so many conversations with my dad growing up uh, where he would talk of, uh, and my mom talked to me about, hey, listen, we're not good. We're not good. Even when we look good and get the compliments. Um, <laughs> my dad is kind of aggressive sometimes. You know, like my dad does these, some of these amazing gifts of service. And um, people are like, oh, Doug, you're great. He's like, oh, not me. And, and here it comes, you know. Because uh, he believes it from the heart. That's the issue. He believes it from the heart. He believes that he isn't good because he's correct. And that Jesus Christ, his work has been credited has been declared upon him, and now he's righteous in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing, and it's part of our testimony. If it's not part of your testimony, you'll be actively preaching the opposite, that goodness is found inside of you, and it's not. Verbalizing you're not, you're always preaching, and what are you saying to your crowd? Credited or not credited is the joyful thing to be blessed with the gift of full righteousness by Jesus to be people who are credited with God's righteousness. Our second piece, then, God stresses that we are legitimate children of God. Okay, this is, this is where thinking caps, a little bit down. The first one's kind of light. Um, not light, but l- a little bit easier. This one here is where we're going to have to think a little bit. This is where it comes into connectivity. There's an argument here. I'm just telling you, just as much as Jesus says, I want you to know that I love you, Jesus is saying, I want you to know how this works. Jesus, the king, wants you to know how it works. For your heart, and also for people at Starbucks you sit with, because people want to know the connectivity of these things. What do you do with the Old Testament? That's a really great question. It's a fair question. It's a question you need to know what to do with and how to think through. Verse 9. Let's pick it up there. So, is this blessing being credited then only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, everyone else? For we say that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then... Was it credited to him? Or maybe the question is, when then was it credited to Abraham? Was it, was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? Okay, short stop, circumcision. 24 years after Abraham gets saved. Age 75, Abraham's hanging out kind of in Babylon area, doesn't know God. God comes to him, boom, speaks to him, tells him of these promises. Abraham believes God's counted him as righteous. Boom, Abraham's saved. Loads up the family wagon, father-in-law. They roll out to the west and they wander, right? 24 years later, 99 years old, God speaks, honestly, probably for the fourth time now to Abraham. And actually tells him about a code of obedience now, 24 years later, that he would like, he's calling Abraham to put upon his family called circumcision. Like, this is an act of obedience. So there's 24 years of salvation between when Abraham first talks to God and when the obedience code comes out, okay? The specified things of, of how things would work ethically, ethnically and c- ceremonial, those kinds of those things unfold about 24 years after Abraham comes to know the Lord. 
I didn't have time today to do this, so maybe you could do it on your own. Genesis 22 uh, to Genesis 12 are are the chapters whereby God talks to Abraham. And God gives his promise to Abraham, which we call the Abrahamic covenant. He gives it to him in waves, wave after wave after wave. And there's a first half of the wave, which is simply God saying it's unilateral covenant, meaning God says, I'm going to do this. And Abraham's only thing to do is believe it. Then towards the second half, he starts giving a second part, which is a bilateral covenant, which is if you do this, I will do that, right? And that bilateral part comes to people who already know him through the unilateral part. So let's just spin that sideways. God starts off and says, Abraham, I'm going to do this. Abraham says, I believe you. And it's, Abraham is counted as righteous, spoken as righteous. He is righteous. He is saved. 24 years later, God visits Abraham again and goes, all right, now let's unfold now some of this relationship. So I have a new element of obedience and, sig- and assigning that you are my people. It's called circumcision. It's a surgery. Unfortunate when you're 99, a lot more fortunate when you're eight days. And you're going to do this in all the males in your clan. And it's a surgery which really demonstrates this, that you're not okay on natural. You have to have sin removed from you. You need external help from you. You need to be transformed. The, the innermost, most intimate part of you has to be transformed, not just the outermost. So he makes this symbol and this sign of righteousness is what the passage says. So that when we see circumcision, that's what it is. It's a surgical procedure demonstrating righteousness. So let's go back in our text here. Verse 14, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 24 years after that, right? The purpose of him being made righteous before being made Jewish by circumcision. So the purpose of circumcision coming 24 years after salvation was to make him the father of two groups. Number one, of all who believe without being circumcised. That's all of us Gentiles. So that the righteousness would be counted, credited, declared to them as well. And to make himself the father of group number two, the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Abraham, father Abraham, who would have many sons, half the sons would be circumcised, half the sons would not be. But not just token, beliefless, mere circumcision, but that they would follow the Lord not only in in ceremony, but in heart. That's why he says that they would walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had when he was circumcised. So being an ethnic and merely externally identifying Jew didn't and doesn't cut it. It didn't, never did, doesn't cut it. So Abraham had boys that he circumcised and just because they had surgery doesn't mean that they're okay with God. Didn't mean they're okay with God. If you were in the Old Testament, Old Testament, not us here. If you're in the Old Testament and you know God and you refuse him circumcision, you are a refuser, not a submitter. You're not God's because you're saying you're not God of my life. I refuse you some right. So verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, 
those obedience codes that started 24 years after Abraham was saved by faith that I commonly call the Mosaic Code just for clarity. But Moses didn't come up with it. God came up with it. And he actually started filtering that code 24 years after Abraham came to know God. Okay? Started off with circumcision. Then it gets into all the laws, all the food laws, those kind of things. But it was developed over time by God himself. Verse 14, for if it is the adherents of the law, the Jews, who are to be heirs, so let's talk about heirs for a second. In, the Mo, in, in Abraham's covenant, God promised a lot of things. He promised that he would be their God. He promised Abraham that he would give Abraham a name. He promised Abraham that he would give him many descendants. He promised Abraham there would be a nation that came out of him. He also promised him there would be many nations that came out of him. He also promised there would be so many descendants it would be like sand on the seashore. He said, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. It's like a robust promise. And but so many of it is like hidden Easter egg, kind of alluded. In fact, part of that is seen in our text here. He said, and Abraham, take a walk around the land. I'm going to give you guys all this land, right? And then later on, he says again, take a broader walk. I'm going to give them all this land. This land will belong to you and your people. But in Romans, we all of a sudden understand that it wasn't simply the, feet, the land that they're their feet stepped on, but it was all the land of all of the earth. The earth would be theirs. So many things in the, in the Old Testament that are spoken in prophecies are hints, right? They're stated in subtle ways in the New Testament and they're folded. So we'll hit this in chapter 6, but we are heirs under Abraham, legitimate heirs under Abraham, because the promise of, of inheritance came not to 25-year-old Christian circumcised Abraham, but these promises came to Abraham in the beginning, long before the nation of the Jews were started 24 years later. So for, it is the adherent, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. For the law brings wrath, not inheritance, but where there's no law, there's no transgression, no Mosaic law to violate. The law didn't do great things for them. Okay, I have a terrible analogy. Love me. So God blesses the people of Israel, right? 24 years after salvation, Abraham says, I believe you and trust you. Circumcision happens. Boom, to all of Abraham's line. The nation of Israel started, um, uh, namely through, through Abraham's son, Isaac. And God starts pouring out blessings, starts pouring out his word into that group. That's where he's speaking. He's speaking to the nation of, of Israel. And part of that then is this gracious but hard code of obedience called the law, the Mosaic Code, Ten Commandments and beyond. There's a lot more than ten. And those were, by this book's definition, designed to go to the ones that are blessed, the Jewish people, and weight them down. It was like, it was like having a baby eagle and putting a really heavy sweater on it. Because, because the baby eagle couldn't fly yet. And the big evil tries to lift out, it's designed to teach the young one to stay put because it doesn't have everything it needs yet. They don't have the Messiah yet. They don't have the Spirit of God yet. They don't have all the things that are needed. So God graciously gave them this, this protecting, insulating, but weighing down thing that was designed to make them remember, I can't still, we still can't fly. But instead of taking that and remembering we still can't fly and we need maturity, we need wings and we need, we need our Messiah, we need the Spirit, they then would take that thing and flog the people around with it, right? Beat them with this new law and feel good about themselves. But it was designed to make them realize, yes, when, when Paul pulled up with the bus 
of the new covenant gospel and said, uh, got done talking to the non-Jewish, and he said, Jews, hop on in. They should have said, finally, we can take this sweater off. But no, they're out there beating people with it, you know, because pe- most of them weren't believing the Lord with it. And they're like, how dare you say we have to leave this behind? What good is this? And he goes, actually, it was a gracious and good thing designed to keep you in your place and show you to wait for a redeemer that would come. But it would, what would it do? It would always show you you weren't ready. It would always show you your sin. So in this verse, verse 15, the law brings wrath because the sin that we incurred brought wrath about. But where there's no law, there's no transgression because that sweater is now removed for us in Christ. So it's always been God's purpose. Um, this is where you, you may not have been thinking about it this morning. But why is you, why you, a good old-fashioned Finnish person, a person from Korea, or a person from uh, South Africa, or a person from Rio de Janeiro, why can you legitimately lay claim onto God and into Jesus? And the spirit of God's argument through Paul is absolutely, it has always been God's plan that the grace of God given out by, by giving righteousness to people who trust him has always been the plan. That was the plan, actually, that he communicated to Abraham 24 years before he started the nation of Israel through circumcision. It's always been the plan. It predates this code, this this obedience code, that God's people tended to make the biggest deal about. There's actually a bigger deal, which is the promise given to Abraham. So we as believers, when we think through big moments in the Bible, okay, if you can only think about one, Jesus, but thankfully, you can live more than five minutes so we can think more simply of the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins. So when we think about the Bible and the big moments of the Bible, Jesus, but probably the next biggest moment, maybe after creation because we need that, is Abraham. Is a huge pillar in this. How it all works together, the world did not know about the grace and mercy and love of God until he spoke it very clearly through Abraham. There was hints of it back in Noah after he got the ark and and hints of it back into Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 in in the garden. But it really becomes clear in Abraham when God says, this is who I am and this is how it's going to work. So you got to know who Abraham is. You are Abraham's son and Abraham's daughter if you believe in God. And you have full rights to him as father just as much as any person who is ethnically Jewish on the face of the earth. Our roots go there. On purpose, that promise happens 24 years before circumcision and, the, and being Jewish ever even became a thing. Your roots are there, and God wants you to know it, and he wants you to know the connectivity to it. It's now your birthright. You're a son and a daughter of God. You are an heir of God, co-heir of Jesus, along in the heirship of, of, of Abraham. Those promises you see to Abraham have connection directly to us. You have spiritual roots, and Christ wants you to know them. Our last piece is this. Oops. Oh, oh, Scott Burns killed it. All right. Our last piece is this. Oh, man. Scott Burns is still killing it in a bad way. All right, here. We go. Our last piece is that God gives righteous celebrations. Okay, this is just a small little part. In verse 11, it says, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. It was a seal of righteousness. It was a sign of it. Old Testament, there's a physical act called circumcision, and that was a testimony that righteousness was given by God to us through the removal of sin. New Testament, 
God graciously closes up that picture and opens a new one. It's called baptism. Baptism is the, is the new circumcision, right? Baptism is where God now has given us a new sign and seal that we as people, all men and women, take upon us when we come to know Jesus. So that action doesn't save you, but that action is a first action after we come to know him. So there's a new sign. It goes to new people, right? No longer circumcision. Instead, it's baptism. It's no longer just for men. It's been for men and women. But it is a declaration of righteousness. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness. So in my day, I've been involved in many a baptism. And it's often uh, really interesting how often if you listen to a baptism, how if you're not, if it's not careful, how often the baptism is a testimony to my righteousness. I am now a follower of God. Oh, that's true, but how'd you get that way? Is it I, or is it like, praise God, I am now a follower of God. I was picked up out of the grave and brought to life in Jesus. So the new sign is baptism. I simply put this out here because next week we are doing our first baptism on this property. And if you've never been baptized um, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a thinking person who's come to know Jesus and said, I want to follow you and be baptized, honor you, Jesus, as a demonstration of the fact that you brought me to righteousness, uh, let us know. We'd love to baptize you. Um, we're going to use our fancy horse strap for the first time here. So we'd love to have you Talk, or actually, if you have more questions about that, come talk to us because it can be a little mysterious. So many things in the scripture make a lot of sense to us culturally. Like, well, if I, if I belong to God, well, then I should follow God. Yes, that's true. But I don't think very many of us for the first time go, well, I follow Jesus and think, and I say, and so then like, I should probably be baptized. Unless you've heard that in scripture, that's not like a one for one. It is this picture that is old. It's an ancient picture, 2,000 years old now where God has allowed us and delights in us standing for people, can't baptize yourself, standing before people, one of his people, putting you down in the water, you allowing yourself to baptize, putting you down in the water and bringing you back out, which is demonstrating the fact that God has done something new to you. He has made you new. You're literally saying, hey, I'm all in. But I'm not all in by my own means. I'm all in through Jesus, the Jesus who has counted his righteousness to me. And I'm now righteous before God, not because I have it inherently, or as he put it last week, not my achieved righteousness, it's my received righteousness. I have received righteousness, and it is there, and therefore I have peace with God. Know me no longer as a person who is neutral or anti-Jesus, because I was anti-Jesus, now I'm completely defined by Christ. How sweet it was for Abraham to be credited, to be declared righteous and acceptable to God, how sweet it is to be extended that promise to all who would ever believe along with him. And how sweet it is for us and ourselves to be able to boast of him in our hearts, words, and through baptism. If we can help you in any of those parts, or thinking about this stuff, any things I've said that have been confusing, or trying to think through baptism, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. Call me up on the phone. Email me if you're watching this online. Um, we would love for you guys to be able to taste of being made by righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you and we just thank you for what is true of us, that we, um, you've opened our eyes to the fact that we, Gentile or non-Gentile or non-Jewish person, um, we don't have righteousness in ourselves, but we can have righteousness. It can be spoken of us. And I praise you that you've done exactly that. You have reckoned, counted, credited, declared us righteous in Jesus when we put our faith in you. Father, I pray that you would please give grace and help 
to any of my friends who at this moment know they need to put their faith in you and see your promise that you delight to do this and you've always delighted to do this. You delight to count us righteous through Jesus. So we praise you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the airship. We thank you for us being sons and daughters and being legitimately that. We thank you for the information, the connectivity, and all the help that it is to us that we are not just hanging our hopes upon a few disconnected promises, but it's such a woven mass of truth and understanding that you've given us. So please, in our, in our hearts and our minds, please elevate that and let that be richly known and understood and believed to joy. Please prevent this information from just simply being information known. Father, I pray you set it on fire and create joy and peace in our hearts. Thank you for your grace. In Christ's name, amen.